Hello everyone, welcome to episode 281 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses, useful resources, and a really awesome, supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, otherwise known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I am busy. That's busy. how I am, Val. Okay. I know. Yes. It's one of those weeks and, you know, you walk into, you run into people and they you say, how are they? And they say, busy, and you think, yeah, whatever. But that's kind of where I am. <laughs> do you know a friend of mine said to me today, he goes, do you actually have time to do any writing these days? You said to me. <laughs> I said, funny you should mention that. I'm in the midst of writing a new manuscript right now. Hashtag write a book with Al. Mm, mm. And you have finished writing a whole other book. Well, co-writing a whole other book. I have. Yours truly. I called have. So You Want to Be a Writer. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So You Want to Be a Writer. Coming soon to a bookshelf near you. Exactly. And being launched at none other than Vivid in Sydney on the 8th of June. So very right, excited right. to all of you people who have bought tickets. It's going to be really fun. We've got a great event on at 11 a.m. on the 8th of June at the Museum of Contemporary Art on the top floor. The view is spectacular and it's a great space. So make sure you get your tickets. All right, let's move on. Let's plunge straight no, into. No, wait a minute. Let's not because I want to know what you've oh. been doing. Oh. Because otherwise it's a very uneven relationship that we're having here. So you okay. have to share too. I know this is a bit lame, what I'm okay. about to say, but it's what's on my mind at, <laughs> Surely mo- at not. the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Never lame. Never. I oh, This is so ridiculous, but I'm just telling you the truth. It's like all I'm thinking about at the moment. So there's this place, it's a diner, and it's it's like a full-on American diner. It's like you've stepped into happy days. It's in... um. Mossvale? I can't even remember the right. name of it. So this is not yeah. sponsored in any way. I can't even remember the name. It's just someone's just took it upon themselves to create this American diner in Mossvale. And I am so craving their onion rings. They literally have the best onion rings I've ever had in my whole entire life. Um, I'm going to go on a road trip from Sydney to Mossvale tomorrow. <laughs> Are you serious? To have these onion rings because I'm hanging. Seriously, like a, a, a road trip, you know, a drive of an hour is not a road trip for starters, but to go all that way. It might be an hour for you. It's like heaps longer for me. Oh, heaps. Oh, that's right. You are. A, yeah, okay. All right. It's just Three an hours. hour for me. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's a road trip. And it's en route to Canberra. I'm actually going to Canberra, but I'm specifically timing my run for lunch at this diner because. <laughs> I just love it so much. I'm just, it's all I've been thinking about for the last few days. That's hilarious. All right. Well, you know what? It's good to see that you've got the big issues on your mind, Valerie. Very, very, in the run up to the election, the Australian election, Valerie is thinking about onion rings. So that's great to it's know. Just, good stuff. It's on my mind. You asked. <laughs> All right, I let's did, move on. I did make that mistake, it's true. <laughs> yeah, you I did. did. <laughs> um, let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. You have a uh, cool link from us. It's an oldie but a goodie, isn't it? It is an oldie but a goodie. It's a, it's a, um, a link that's come from a blog uh, 
by an author called Laura Lee, Laura L. M. Uh, it's called The Art of Storytelling, which is mm. lovely. Um, and it's actually, uh, it came up on Pinterest. I do love Pinterest. I don't know mm. if anybody out there is is a pinner. I don't spend a huge amount of time there because I do find that I, I tend to get sucked in and I'll be there for days looking at, you know, as we, I think we talked about in the past, soothing pictures of bathrooms. Um, but it is also an incredibly useful place to keep your writing links and to keep all your information together and stuff. And anyway, so there I was doing whatever I was doing and I came across this link which caught my eye because it's called The 10 Worst Story Openings, How Not to Start Your Novel. And I thought, okay, and I went in to have a look and, of course, it just made me laugh so much because <laughs> it's so true. Um, so the first one that she has on, you know, 10 ways not to write up your, uh, mm. not to start your novel is waking up, you know, the alarm clock oh, going off. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's, uh, you know, like it's, it, they always say, and I, I always say to kids when I go to writing workshops that you need to start your um, story on the day that's different. So mm. if, you, if your character wakes up every day to an alarm clock, you need to start on the day that the alarm clock doesn't go off. Yeah. And it will, it will do a couple of things. It will allow you to write, a different story, but it will also allow you to avoid the dreadful beep, beep, ring, ring opening of the, mm. la- the alarm clock going off. Um, the second one that uh, Laura is not fond of is the weather slash landscape description. Oh. Um, and that I, I think that's kind of, um, if you read a lot of older books, and I, by older books yeah. I'm talking about, you know, 100 years old. Um, Wuthering Heights. <laughs> they, they, a lot of them used to start with place. They would start mm. with the setting and, and it would be very descriptive. And I do remember being, you know, in year 12 and studying some of these books from my HSC and just skipping the first three pages basically because yeah. it was a long and involved description of the purple mist. Yes. And, and, you know, it just doesn't interest me. And, again, I, you know, that comes back to the advice that I always give the kids when I do the writing workshops, which is to, you know, start in the middle of the action like it's, mm. it's got to, you know, you want to basically, you want to bring your reader into the action as as quickly as you possibly can and describing the green hills around them is not a way to do that. So, um, but anyway, it's there, so there's a whole bunch of different things in here. There's also, of course, the dreaded backstory where, you know, or character description, she took, she describes it as a, as a laundry list character description. You know, she had eyes the colour of a summer sky and long blonde hair that fell in ringlets past her shoulders. Um, and, you know, she was wearing this and she did this and her face looked like this. If you've, if you've got a full paragraph describing your character like that, you need to reassess. You might want to try to work out how you can show some of the details of that character rather than telling the description of the character as they go through. And yes. you also want to make sure that your, your backstory doesn't take up the first five pages of your actual novel. But um, now she does raise the issue of the prologue. Now the prologue oh, yes. is an interesting one, very controversial prologue. Very controversial. Um, she, Laura's not a fan of the prologue. She tends to skip the prologue uh, because she feels like it's just a cheap way of stuffing a bunch of backstory into the into the story without having to do it. Mm. Um, but I actually, like I used a prologue in the opening uh, book of the Mapmaker Chronicles. It's the only prologue um, that I've ever used, but it was actually um, necessary in that particular instance. And I think that that's probably the key to the prologue. Mm. Is the prologue necessary or could you remove it and by removing that however many words, 3,000 words, whatever it is, um, if you take it off, you know, will the reader really miss it? And I think that that's where you have to um, 
you know, decide whether or not your prologue should be there or not. Literary agents will often say no prologues, but I, again, it comes back to the story. Like I think you really have to serve the story and if the yep. prologue serves the story, keep the prologue. But if you can lop it off and not lose anything, then your prologue is just you indulging in letting people know what's going on. So yeah, exactly. I think that definitely. Um, I'm. I'm. I don't mind about the prologue. I don't have major strong feelings one way or the other. Except, of course, that if it's if you could lop it off and you wouldn't miss it, of course it should mm. be there. But mm. one thing that is really jarring for me is about the character descriptions, mm. and in particular, it's really jarring when. The description, because sometimes you do need to have descriptions, but just not a laundry list of descriptions. But when you do have descriptions, the thing that's most jarring to me is when it it comes out of the point of view that you're yeah. currently writing in. And it's actually yeah. something is being described in a omniscient way when, in fact, that's not how the, pers- the, <clears throat> the point of view character would have described it. And I just see that a mile away and I find that mm. really, really, really jarring. Yeah. yeah, but this is a good um this is a good list and uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, which of course you can find at so you wanna be a writer.com.au. Now the other link that we've got is called Manners Matter. 13 etiquette tips. Now we've sudden we haven't suddenly become Ida Buttros and we're not gonna <laughs> tell you you know what we, we'd thought. like we would like to have become Ida. Oh, yeah, I feel like yeah. you know she's got some she's got some chops Ida. I wouldn't mind being Ida, that's but yes, true. that's true. Um, we're not going to tell you yeah which fork to use or whatever. This is thirteen etiquette tips from Rochelle Gardner, who is a literary agent. Which ones mm. do you think stand out? Okay, so the reason that I wanted to discuss this link at all was mostly um, for the first one because this is something that really um, yeah. annoys me. This happens to me um, a little bit and it's something that really annoys me. And the the first one is don't say someone referred you unless they really truly did. Mm. So don't go to someone else's uh, literary agent and drop a name of someone that you know or you might have met once or whatever and then mm. and say that they referred you to the agent that they suggested because there's a – there's a sort of inference in a referral that the person that they've dealt with before is recommending you. Um, please don't say that someone has recommended you unless they really, really have, mm. really, because it's yeah. actually it, it's it's a really great way to annoy two people very, very quickly to do yes. that. To do that, and also if that person checks and they didn't actually refer you, that mm. really damages your reputation. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, so that was the first one. And that was the first one on the list and it was the first, and I thought, yes, actually that's something that is really worth raising because you know, I think in this day of social media, we we meet and I put that in, you know, quote marks. We meet a lot more people than we ever, you know, we're in contact with and connected with a lot more people than we ever would have done. Um mm. and you know, and that's fine, but it's important that if you are going to put someone else's name into an email or whatever or a conversation as a referral mm. that you check with that person first. It's really, really important. Yeah. Um, so, But there are, of course, other things on the, the list that I think are, are important. Um, I think the second one, avoid discussing problems with your agent or publisher in a public forum like your blog is a really oh, good yeah. one. You know, if you're frustrated with waiting for your publisher to get back to you or you're, you know, you're having difficulties with your agent, you know, 800 words on your blog is not the place to do it. Yeah, you need to Twitter. actually – Or Twitter. Mm. Or Twitter. Um, 
you you know while it as um, Rochelle says while it's tempting to vent you you mm-hmm. actually need to go to the person involved in a discreet um, you know non-public way to have those yeah. conversations it's really, it doesn't it doesn't further your cause to take your frustrations public it doesn't at all and even if you're not referring you're not talking directly to them on twitter or wherever mm, and you're that, doing you know how people vague book on vague facebook yeah yeah exactly. and they go Subtweet, all so those disappointed things. Yep. in the news that i got today or whatever as a veiled message yes yeah, don't, don't do it don't do that no definitely mm. um double check your email before hitting send oh yeah <laughs> Have you done that? Have you ever... I'm, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I've I've done the reply all. Oh my god! I have, I have. It was a long time ago. You only do it once, and then you never do it again. No. Um, but I mistakenly replied all and made a comment to the person that I was, you know, thought I was responding to that was then seen by you know everybody. Mm. And yeah, that was a bad day. That was a really bad day. <laughs> Oh, no. I don't it's, recommend you do that. It's better than a friend of mine. She um, never replied all because she – and it used to drive us bonkers, especially when we were trying to organise um, to catch up. So there would be a number of people that would need to be on the reply all. But she never replied all because she thought we discovered after we would go crazy at her that it would meant that it would reply to every single person in her contact list in her address book. <laughs> Do you know what though? That's probably a better approach. Like that kind of err on the side of caution. Yes. While that might be annoying when you're trying to organise a barbecue, is probably, <laughs> probably the best possible way forward. Um, anyway, so the list is uh, that Rochelle has put together here of 13 tips is very like it's really worth reading. Even if you um, think you're across all of this stuff, mm. um, it's always worth having a look um, because you know, as she said, even in this electronic age, etiquette is important, and in some ways, it's even more important because you have to remember that when you're emailing or when everything's in text the inference is not always there and it's not always obvious so you have to choose your words carefully and make sure that you know the person on the other end is going to is not going to take it you know you can't put a smiley face in a professional Mm. email so you have Mm. to make sure that you're not making some kind of you know subversive comment that they're going to take the wrong way so uh yes consider your words carefully yeah all right we'll put that link in the show notes of course um so let's move on to this week's competition or this week's giveaway we have three copies of the beekeeper of aleppo by christy lefteri Uh, that you could win. This debut novel is already receiving rave reviews. It tells the story of Nuri, a beekeeper, and his wife Afra, an artist. They live a simple life in the beautiful Syrian city of Aleppo until the unthinkable happens. When all they care for is destroyed by war, they are forced to escape and embark on a perilous journey through Turkey and Greece towards an uncertain future in Britain. Told with deceptive simplicity, this is the kind of book that reminds us of the power of storytelling. So we have three copies of The Beekeeper of Aleppo. You could win one of them by going to writercentre.com.au slash win. And entries close on the 20th of May. So writercentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. All right, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, Lord, you know what? I don't know if I am after last oh, week. Oh, oh well, yeah. Yeah. Cracker. 
That was a cracker. But not only was it a cracker, the fact that we – I think we discussed that there was no use for it because you couldn't find it anywhere. And then well, 27 people in our, thought, in our podcast <laughs> group were like, actually, no, you use it like this. And it's got to do with um, when you jiggle food around your tummy. In your <laughs> tummy, yeah. It's so like a, you know, check to see how you, whether or not your stomach juices are moving the way that they should. And honestly, if you're not in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook, you are missing some quality yeah. conversations. That's all I'm yes. saying. But anyway, okay, I'm bracing myself, all right? And all I right. hope everyone out there is also bracing themselves. Val, we yes. are so ready. Okay, great. It is natation. That's N A T A. T-I-O-N, natation. So like notation, but with N-A instead of N-O, natation. Know what that is? No, Val. I don't know what that is. It sounds it's, like succussion. Like it's last succussion, week. yeah. I know. Succussion, whatever it is. <laughs> sounds like you've just chosen to go down the road of let's change one letter in every word that we're going to be doing forever. But, yes, I have no idea. What is it, Val? Tell me. Notation means swimming. What? Uh-huh. So you might say she achieved a remarkable feat of natation at the Olympics or, you know, uh, synchronised swimmers. Uh, uh, what, synchronised natation? natation. <laughs> but you wouldn't, would you? Because you'd just say they were swimming. No, you, you might say this. You could and perhaps your character might say this because they're inclined to speak with such words. So it's good to know other words. It is good to know. And if anybody out there, let's put it out to the community because they were there for us last week. Has anyone ever heard or used notation in this Mm. way? Because I would really like to know. Yeah, because last week I had never used that word before, suck us. Um, But now it's practically every day because as I sit down, you know, after dinner and have my little Darrelly Violet Crumble, not sponsored, and watch Netflix, I do my little succussion shake. (laughs) Oh, And and you know what? I've long thought that you needed to get out more and now now you can go and notate instead. It'll be great. I'm not sure that that is the the verb. I I must look it up. Can you look it up? Is it the verb to notate? Maybe it's the verb to outate. Oh, my God. See where I went there? Fine, I know, stop. It's time to move on. We really have to move, to move on now. Yeah, let's yes. leave that. All right, us. let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I spoke to Paige Toon, who grew up between England and Australia and America, and I spoke to her um, uh, about her latest book, but in particular the fact that she has sold over a million copies of her books worldwide. So quite a few things that we could learn from Paige Toon. Let's have a chat to her now. Okay. Paige, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Your latest book is If You Could Go Anywhere. For those readers who haven't read the book yet, can you tell us what it's about? Well, it's about Angie, um, who is a character who has spent 27 years living in a small mining town in the Australian outback. Um, And she's always wanted to travel ever since ever since she was a young girl, um, her mother died so soon after giving birth to her and leaving um, Angie's grandparents as her only carers. And she grew up not knowing who her father was. And then her grandfather passes away and then her grandmother falls ill. And on, it was on the eve of when Angie's planning on fleeing the nest and 
going across to the other side of the world and just traveling and seeing the world. And she, she basically stays at home in this small outback town to look after her grandmother. And so when we meet up with her on her, when she's 27, um, her grandmother has, has passed away and, and she's basically, that's the beginning of the story. Mm. And so how did this idea form? What made that the premise pop into your head or did it develop over time? Was it something you've been exploring yourself for a while? Tell us a bit about that. Okay, you're going to laugh. Um, this just shows that ideas really can come from anywhere. Um, it yeah. came the the initial seed of an idea came to me as I was watching Moana, the Disney movie. No, <laughs> about, yeah, about Moana. Um, <laughs> this character who who was sort of t- stuck on this tiny island, and her and her you know dad wouldn't allow her to travel and see the world, and she would look out to the to the ocean and you know want to sort of go and see. And I just sort of thought I would love to write a character who's got serious wanderlust because I've been experiencing quite a lot of that lately, and just really you know wanting to go and see much more of the world and um just bought a camper van and so we can enable us to travel around Europe a lot more because we live in England um and so I thought that'd be really interesting you know this idea of this character for for one reason or another being stuck and not being able to basically so she she Angie has barely left her the small mining out uh, town that she she lives in um only to go to Adelaide on occasional trips as a young child and just the idea of writing about someone who had never been on an aeroplane you know she she never she's never even traveled by train you know so there's this one point where she she goes to a train station this massive train rolls in and she just stands there in awe um so it's interesting you know sort of quite I, I just like the idea of exploring that yeah now people might be a bit confused because you live in England uh you've got a camper van you're going to go around Europe it's set in Cuba PD, which is, yeah. of course, in Australia. But you grew up between England, Australia and America. Can you just give us a bit of an idea of your background and sure. where you did grow up? Um, well, I was born in England, um, but my entire family, going back generations, is Australian. And my, my parents, we went back to Australia soon after I was born. My dad used to be a racing driver, and so we used to travel you know, we'd spent half the year in Australia where I went to school and the other half of the year in either America or England, depending on where he was racing at the time. So that was my childhood was growing up, sort of traveling around quite a lot. Um, and then eventually we settled in England. I had to sort of knuckle down and do my school, you know, sort of exams, big exams and things and ended up meeting my future husband. And then my entire family moved back to Australia, which was really nice of them. <laughs> and, and left me in England. But by then I had a really great job at a magazine, um, and you know, I was I was I was pretty rooted to England myself, and so that's where I live now. And I've got two two children as well. And yeah, so we're just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Europe. Um, tend to go travelling quite a lot. But um, yeah, I thought I thought about setting the beginning of the book in somewhere maybe in Scotland, and then I just thought no, you know, Australia, somewhere in the outback of Australia would just be so much more. Um, I just love the idea of writing about that. And when you were living in Australia, were you Living in the outback? No, um, I lived in the Adelaide Hills, so that's yeah, pretty far from the outback. It's very green up there. Yeah. Um, so no, I haven't spent much time in the outback at all. I've I've been to to Uluru and you know been to various sort of parts of the Northern Territory, um, but yeah, not very familiar with the outback. So there was a lot of research involved in this book. Yeah. So what kind of research did you do, especially living in England? So I went to Italy and I went to Norway, which is also featured in the book quite heavily. 
And I was gutted that I couldn't get back to go to Cuba PD, actually, because we were coming back to Australia now. And, you know, I was writing this book sort of six months ago and there was no way I could come back to Australia twice in a year. So I had to do all of that online research um, and I spoke to locals in the area, spoke to, um, you know, had to do a lot of research about opal mining and, you know, had to even look up sort of um, regulations for, for underground housing and and everything like that. And then there was an awful lot of Google Street View as well used. And I just really immersed myself in as, as many sort of videos and Facebook and, you know, everything to do with people living in Coobapedia and trying to get a sense of what that would be like, you know, to, to grow up in a small mining town and use my imagination a bit. <laughs> and when did you realise that you wanted to become a writer? I've always written ever since I was yeah. really small. Yeah, it's. I, I can't remember how old I was when I decided I wanted to be an author, but I was really young. Um, and when I was 12, I started reading magazines and thought, well, that would be a fun job first. Maybe I could go and work for magazines first. And then when I have kids, I'll, I'll um, write books and be able to work from home. And so I had all these big dreams. Um, and yeah, I'm still kind of pinching myself. Yeah, because you have been extraordinarily successful and have sold over 1.5 million copies of your books. And when you reached the million mark, did you, was there some kind of countdown? Did you actually know what was happening at the time it was happening? Because that's a milestone. Yeah, uh, A million. And if so, how did you find out and what did you do to celebrate? Well, it was funny. I think I'd seen um, one of my fellow authors, you know, she had, she sort of written over a million books. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder if I've written over a million books now. And um, and so I, I knew I must be pretty close with all my UK sales because I do very well there, but I also do very well in Germany. And so, um, and so I had to, you know, get together all the, all the numbers from just, you know, my two, two different publishers, but I published in about 16 different countries around the world but I didn't bother with them because I knew I did well in, in Germany and and the UK and between those two alone you know it was over a million well over a million and yeah so that was that was a pretty mental moment yeah I bet did you do anything specific to celebrate um I didn't actually I don't know why not That's now you're, you're making me think my god I should <laughs> cracked open the Prosecco <laughs> any excuse <laughs> Not the Prosecco, the French Champagne. It's over a million copies. <laughs> I prefer Prosecco. <laughs> okay. So you've written 12 women's fiction novels and a three-part spin-off series for young adults plus also a collection of short stories. That's right. You Have you always wanted to write women's fiction and what about that genre is appealing to you? Um. So the first book idea I ever had was for women's fiction and I was working at Heat magazine. Um, my family had moved back to Australia and I was feeling really torn between Australia and England. And that was, you know, the premise of the idea for Lucy in the Sky, you know, this character who is traveling back to Australia. Um, she, she gets, you know, she gets this text message on this, on this 24 hour flight saying that her boy, you know, from her boyfriend's phone, you know, sort of um, really, that really, upsets her and then she has to go through this 24-hour flight and I sort of I, I like the connection of that and but most of the story was really about this character who was sort of torn between these two countries and two men as, as well effectively um and that was just that was just the genre that appealed to me and I've always read I've always read women's women's fiction ever since like Bridget Jones's diary mm. and 
Marion Keys, I love her. She's one of my favorite authors. And so I think you just write what you want to read. You know, I basically I write the stories I want to read and, and I love writing them because I can just live inside these characters' heads and live completely vicariously through them. So I think that's really important for any budding writers. You know, don't try and write what you think will sell. You have to write what you love. And I mean, I am very lucky when what I love is commercial too. So I can make yes. a decent living out of it. But that's, you know, that's luck more than, more than anything contrived. So when you are creating your characters and your plots and basically thinking of the what's going to happen in your books, typically, because there must be a pattern now after 12 novels and, and, and beyond. Uh, this is the 13th. Yeah, <laughs> typically, 13th, yeah. Typically, do you already know what's going to happen to this character throughout the, the journey of the book or do you only start with a seed of an idea and let it unfold? How does it work on a practical level? Um, I've usually been thinking about the book that I'm going to write about a year before I start writing it. And so the idea is pretty well-rounded by the time I come down to write it. I think there's only been a couple of instances where I knew, you know, might have been writing about a love triangle and I, I didn't know who she was going to end up with. And, so, you know, on two other occasions I sort of thought, I might just let the book write itself, you know, and see how the ending pans out. Mm. Um, but most of the time I know, you know, I know exactly how it's going to end. And that's what really keeps me driving when I'm writing. It's all these sort of key points throughout the novel. And you're, I never write out of sequence. I always write from beginning to end. And so, you know, I can easily write like 10,000 words at the end of a novel in a day, you know, just because I'm like, you know, can't wait to get these words out. You know, they've mm. just been thinking about them for so long and it's all geared up to that point where you just – yeah, it just comes tumbling out. So you said a couple of times you've you've kind of let's see what happens to the character. How did that work out for you? Did it did it work, <laughs> or was it harder? Which way do you prefer? Well, it's funny because um, so the first time it happened to me was with One Perfect Summer, and I had every idea of how it would pan out and then about 20,000 words towards the end I thought hang on I'm not actually sure that you know it's that clear cut um and then so I wrote that book and ended up writing or like my readers were demanding a sequel so it, I don't think it was the most well-rounded ending to be fair um you know they wanted a little bit more and so I ended up writing a short story sequel that same year um and then the next time it happened to me was 13 weddings which was the next book mm-hmm. and and that time I, I mean I found it really freeing being able to write it but that is that divided my readers more than any other book um in terms of who she ended up with at the, at the end of that story I heard from so many people saying it should have been him it should have been him and you know half of them were happy half of them weren't you know so mm-hmm. so it's weird you know I guess it's great that they you know people care about the characters but if it's un, if it's not that clear-cut to me then it's clearly not that clear-cut to my readers but it's good for debate and likewise with 13 weddings I did end up writing a sequel to that as well well, um, yeah, but I won't give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> so when you decided to write your spin-off series for young adults, firstly, why did you decide to do that, to, to write for a different well, age group? And also then what did you – how did you have to approach it differently in the writing process? Well, um, I decided to because I wrote my first six books – during baby nap times. I wrote my first book and then I fell pregnant basically. And so I was writing a book a year with only a very small amount of like window of time to write them in. And then my kids went to school 
and I suddenly had so much more time on my hands. And I thought, well, you know, the thing that I love to do most is write. And so I thought, well, I could write, you know, two books a year. And a friend of mine said, you know, she just sort of said, well, I can see you writing young adult. And I'd had this idea building in my head for a while for a spin-off of one of my adult books. And I thought, well, that would work really well as a teenage title because um, I tend to write all of my books in, re- in real time. So if I do write the sequel or or link them, then it has to sort of be, you know, roughly the same amount of years that have passed in the real world. Um, so in order to write, you know, this story that I had in my mind, you know, another 10 years or so would have had to pass. But because she was a teenager, only 15, then it actually worked perfectly for um, you know, for, for that story to, to sort of come about. Um, and I didn't, I didn't find it any different to writing for adults. You know, when you're inside the head of any of your characters, then you just start thinking like that character. So it didn't matter that she was 15 or 16, um, or, you know, sort of 30. Um, the only thing that was really different was that my, you know, she smoked. Um, and my editor said, you have to be more responsible with that. You know, she has to stop smoking. And, <laughs> and so things like that, you know, really, um, all of my books, I try to keep as realistic as possible. But in that situation, I think that she probably as a, you know, the character that she was, she definitely would have carried on smoking for a bit longer. But, um, <laughs> but <in the> book, <laughs> So can you give us just a bit of a timeline in terms of um, in terms of this book, so let's take this book as an example, if you could go anywhere, you think about it for a year or thereabouts, and then what happens? Can you give us a bit of t- a timeline on how long it takes then to do your first draft, and then after that, what happens after that in terms of the edits or any revisions, and then when it comes out? So I have a rolling deadline um, that all of my books, books have to be delivered in at the end of November. Um, that's on my UK publisher. So, you know, I basically start writing in September, um, right through October and November. And I just find that that time of year works really well for me as a writer. Um, in the UK, it's summer, obviously over sort of June, July, August. Um, and I, I, there's something about the summer that I find really, really difficult to, to write. I find my head, head gets quite foggy and, you know, I don't know, maybe I just need to install air conditioning and I'd be fine. But <laughs> in the UK, it's sort of, it's quite, my office is very stuffy and I just, I really find it very hard to, to just clear my mind and feel really connected to the characters. But there's something about coming back to work, kids going off to school, back to work after the summer holidays that I'm just really productive. So, um, and it's always during the writing process so far, bizarrely, um, that I, that I tend to come up with the idea for the next book. I think just because I'm in that creative drive and, you know, something will just pop into my head and, you know, I might've had an idea going for a, for a couple of years even, but just starts pulling off you know sort of going forward and um and so that from that point onwards I'm really kind of thinking about it until I start writing it in September um so as soon as I as soon as I finish a book at the end of um, November we have a very tight turnaround because my books come out in May in the UK um and it's just been that way ever since I got my first book deal we just decided to to, you know, I just decided I'd write it quickly and we'd deliver, you know, sort of publish it the following year. And so we've always had a really tight turnaround. Um, so luckily my books are reasonably well edited by the time they reach my publisher. So she doesn't, my editor doesn't need to do too much. Um, but she'll, she'll pass it back to me within about two weeks, usually have just a couple of days off to sort of do my accounts and catch up on social media that I haven't been able to do while I've been up against my deadline. Um, and then I've got the first round of editing from my editor and then I deliver that back quite quickly. It's usually only within a few days. Um, and then it goes off to the copy editor. 
And then I have another couple of weeks, hopefully over Christmas, which enables me to have a bit of a break. And then, you know, straight away back from the copy editor, I need to do another round of editing, usually have about a week or so with those. And then it goes off to the typesetters and then you get the book back again when it's all laid out. And, you know, that's a one final read through. You can't make too many changes at that point. You need to just sort of looking for mistakes really and, you know, occasionally sort of word repetitions and I always end up doing a fair few scribbles, unfortunately. <laughs> and um, all in amongst all this time, I'm, you know, liaising with the editor and my publisher about, about the book design and the cover, um, you know, the blurb, various different things, trying it to stay on top of like social a media. It sounds like a well-oiled machine. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it is. It's quite every year on year. It's pretty much always exactly the same. <laughs> and so, then, um, yeah, that's it. So tell us, when you're doing the actual writing, what is your typical day? I know you've just mentioned that in some cases you can just do 10,000 words or whatever, but what would be a typical day? Do you have any kind of routines, whether that's a creative routine or whether it's a, you know, i got to have a cup of tea first and think about my characters in order to you know, get the words out? Um, well, I tend to just get the kids off to school in the morning um, tend to do a little bit of housework quickly and then eventually I get to sit down and I, I always find the beginning of the week really frustrating because I'm catching up with all the social media from over the weekend and it'll get to about two o'clock before I even get to do any work and then the next thing you know the kids are home from work but so from Tuesday onwards it's a little bit more productive but it really just depends at which stage I'm at in the book it depends if I've done enough research because if I haven't then I get really bogged down in, in doing research and I find that quite frustrating sometimes and there was a lot of research to do for this book um, so I definitely wasn't as productive in the earlier stages and there was in the later ones um, so do you do your research as you go as opposed to do your research first I try to do my research first, but there's always something that comes up or I just don't feel like I know enough about, um, you know, one of the characters to think that they're something that they're doing it. You know, there's just always this, there was so much research to do in this book, even just down to Angie, you know, baking biscuits from different places from around the world, you know, and having to, you know, if I'd done all of that research in advance, I'd just be weighed down with research notes to look sure. through. So, you know, at points you just have to kind of pop back onto your computer. And, and I just really, like, because I hadn't been to Kubapedia, I, I had to massively immerse myself in, in the town and, you know, and just watch so many different videos and needed to understand opal mining. And that was a really, you know, big thing. And, and geez, her nan has Alzheimer's. So I, you know, spoke to people from Alzheimer's research in the UK and, needed wow. to understand all of that and then there's just millions of other things as well so do you yeah, have a word count goal no I don't and uh, yeah um no I, I don't because you know at the end Ooh. of the day sometimes I'm really really productive um and I'm and because I can write the 10,000 words towards the end yeah uh, there's no point in forcing the words if they're not coming in the beginning I tend it's just better to get out and go for a walk and try and let my characters start speaking to me inside my head and then run back and try to remember what they said. <laughs> and so with your characters, as you're developing your characters, do you create any kind of, I mean, do they just live in your head or do that? Do you create any kind of, you know, dossier or, or document on each of them so that you can write down bits of their backstory and personality quirks and stuff like that as they come to you? Yeah, I do do that. I try to do that. Um, I think every time I've written, a book I've I've always ended up writing somehow differently you know doing it doing it differently um this time I actually really did try to do that because there are quite a few characters and sometimes you just you know you even forget names that you might have already yeah. used in the book and mm. um you know that's so that was really helpful to do that this time and so 
because you've gone through, you've written this book, that means, and you would have done that last November or finished it in last November, that means, according to what you've just said, you've already thought of the premise of your next book. So yeah. are you in the throes of writing that or, or, or where are you on that? Well, I've had a little bit of a break um, because I needed one. Because <laughs> yeah, this yeah. one, this one took it out of me more than others. Right. <laughs> um, but actually, no, I've just come up with another idea, which um, which has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. Um, I had a, I had a really clear idea. I was really into it, really excited about it, and then I flew over to Australia. Uh, um, and woke up with jet lag at three in the morning and this idea popped into my head and I can't stop thinking about it. So, oh. so I might end up writing that one first, but it means that I'm, yeah. you know, I'm starting the process of research quite, quite late on and, and just, you know, obviously even just thinking about it to make sure it's clear enough in my head. I don't have as long before I'm going to start writing. So I just need to really make sure that I'm, you know, really committed to doing that one first, but, and I'm also waiting to hear what my editor thinks. <laughs> So how will you know which idea to go with? What makes one idea the one? Um, I think that the the idea that's just come into my head is possibly a little bit more current. Um, and it, I think it's really, it's really, it's much more unusual. Um, so I'm tempted to do that one, but I, I, you know, I need to sort of find out what my editor thinks, you know, she agrees. It's, um, Ultimately, I, I write love stories and this will be a love story, but it's the rest of it that is really, really clear in my head as opposed to the love story. So that's what I'm kind of working on at the moment. I need to really feel connected to the characters before yeah. I think about, you know, going down that going, going down that route. Wow. And finally, what's your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to be like in a position where you are one day, you know, published author, 13 novels <laughs> and, and counting what are your top three tips? Um, well, I would always say write what you love and not what you think you should um, and really make sure you're enjoying what you're writing. If you're finding that you're getting bogged down in, in something, then, you know, chances are your readers are going to feel like that when they're reading it. So just take a break, you know, go for a walk. Sometimes, you know, jump ahead to a scene that excites you so you don't get sort of stuck, you know, with writer's block. Um, you can always come back and fill out that bit later. I had to do that a little bit with this, with this book. Um, and ooh, is that two? Um, so, right, what and, you love and I think, and yeah, jump ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the, you know, um, the other thing just to keep in mind is that no matter what happens these days, you can always self-publish. So you can always find an audience for your book. So there's really no excuse to not just start writing. Mm, wonderful. Great advice. Congratulations on your book, If You Could Go Anywhere, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our eight-week course, Novel Writing Essentials, focuses on getting your manuscript off to the best possible start. Whether you've already started your opening chapters or just have a story idea, this course will help you shape the beginning of your novel through weekly lessons and workshopping in a supportive online environment. In doing so, you'll avoid potential mistakes down the track and meet the course goal of getting your first 20,000 words of your novel in the bag. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning online with your very own tutor and classmates providing direct feedback on your writing. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel essentials. That's writerscentre.com.au slash novel essentials.
right, there you go, page tune. Now, it'd be pretty nice to have to have sold over a million books, I have to say. Oh, not my, a bad, not a bad achievement. In my dreams, have I sold over a million books? <laughs> not a bad achievement. Well, I'm we've going over... to have another listen to that and just take away all of the mm. tips that I can in yes. case I can boost my Mapmaker Chronicles on Adaban Cipher over the but one Al, million. What? We've we've had well over now a million downloads. It's kind of like you know that's not bad. <laughs> That's of this bad. podcast. That's true. That's not no. bad, is it? That's not bad. We'll have a million downloads. Anyway, um, we've come to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the upcoming week, Al? Let me see. Well, I've got – oh, how's this? I've got a very fun school visit to attend on Friday. I'll be going to Crown Street Public School in um, in Sydney where they're having a – what's it called? Lights off, torches on um, author visit. A little festival that they do where they have four authors come and the kids all come in their pajamas mm-hmm. and they bring their torches and we do we like read we kind of do read stories to them so yeah. I'm heading up to Sydney to do that um, and I'm taking my youngest son with me book boy junior is coming along for the ride because we're going to have a you know we're going to have a date in Sydney together so nice. I'm actually really looking forward to it and of course oh. I'm writing things I really hope that anyone who's working on a, on a manuscript at the moment. Um, we'll come to my Facebook page at Alison Tate Writer and join in with Write a Book with Al because, yes. you know, we're, we're trucking Hashtag along. Write a Book with Al. Hashtag. And everybody's, um, everybody's quite excited. I mean, we're only sort of a week in, so we're still excited. We haven't reached the point of, oh, this is so hard yet. Mm. Um, but, you know, I managed to do six days out of seven last over the last week, so I'm really, really pleased good. about that. I'm making good progress. I'm really liking the story that I'm putting together. So I think that's all you can do really is just, you know, keep writing the things that you love to write. But if you can do it with other people, it's amazing mm-hmm. how encouraging and inspirational it is. You don't feel like you're by yourself. I think that's the key to it. Anyway, yes. that's what I'm doing. What about you, Valerie? What are you doing? Um. Well, I'll be eating onion rings. <laughs> <laughs> and violet crumbles and so well, no violet your crumbles. stomach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now that we've all got that visual, we might just leave it right there. What do you think? <laughs> the important things in life. <laughs> and I'll be getting stuck into the library book by Susan Orlean. Um, it's really cool. I'm about a third of the way through. Fantastic. Oh, Can't put it okay. down. Really good. Mm. Uh, yes. Um, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. You'll also find all of the show notes at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. And make sure you join us on Facebook in the podcast community. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It's free. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.